Welcome to the LBCF podcast. Our vision is to learn to live and love like Jesus, where we live, work, and play. To find out more about our community, you can visit us at lbcf.org. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by this teaching from our community. So glad you're here today. Um, you know, I'm, I was listening to the announcements and to Eileen, and just so grateful that our church here in Long Beach um, is like not just about us as a local community, but trying to figure out um, what it means to participate in all the things God is doing around the world. And I, I know that um, Eileen and Deepak are just doing so many wonderful things. The Himalayas and Cambodia, and just, you know, we have this partnership with them. And in all the partnerships we have with different people, we want to make sure that it's, a, it's this ongoing relationship of love and so would you please keep them in your prayers um, as they, you know, they'll be returning back in, in a few weeks um, and just doing wonderful work over there. And also with the, the plastics, um, you know, documentary happening this Saturday, um, you know, we, we weren't sure about showing it because we found out it was going to cost $350 uh, to screen this. But then uh, Trisha was able to talk to the people in charge and they're letting us screen it for free here. And so, I mean, that was such a huge deal. And there's going to be people from all over the area coming to visit our church, you know, probably for the first time. And, you know, it's our way of, like, being hospitable, but it's our way of saying as believers, you know, God cares about everything. God cares about the world. God cares about the environment we live in. Um, Creation care is something that is so embedded you know, from the very first chapters of Genesis that God called us to be stewards of the earth. And for those of us that didn't grow up uh, in a Christian tradition that valued, like, the environment, you know, this is part of our growing process to try to figure out and understand, like, you know, our, our role as, as good stewards, as, as citizens of the earth. What does it mean to, like, make the world a better and healthier place for all people? Um, and as Barbara shared, um, this week, uh, on the 12th, marks the 40th anniversary of Long Beach Christian Fellowship. And when I heard it was 40 years, I realized it's a pretty significant marker since the number 40 is, is, pretty import, is a pretty important number in Scripture. In fact, um, the number 40 is mentioned 146 times in the Bible. And the number 40 generally symbolizes this period of testing, a period of trial or probation. And if you look at the life of Moses, it's especially significant because we find that Moses lived in, uh, in, the, in Egypt for 40 years before he was ushered into this new season. And, and then after that, you know, he, he lived in the desert for 40 years. And Moses, you know, when he um, brought the people out of Egypt, he um, was brought to Mount Sinai. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he received God's law twice. Um, the number 40, you know, again used in the life of Moses when he sent the spies to, you know, investigate the land that God had promised. And, and lastly, you know, we, we know, and what Ryan um, shared with us last week in Exodus, is that the people of Israel wandered in the desert. And this period of wandering in the desert was for the period of 40 years. And as I think about, you know, Barbara's story and all the things that, you know, this church has gone through, I, I would gather to say, even though I haven't been at the church for 40 years, I've only been here less than three years, um, 
I would say the past few years have probably been the most challenging. I look at those of you that have been here for over five years, and like I commend you. You guys have been through a lot. You guys have been through, you know, so many changes with staff, so many hard conversations around race and sexuality, the challenges of the pandemic. I, I, I marvel at your resilience and your, your dedication and your perseverance, and that's a lot of grief and loss that you've had to navigate through. And then there are those of us like myself who haven't been here as long. But from hearing many of your stories, I know that you also have faced a lot of like challenges in church. Many of you have experienced spiritual abuse and trauma. And some of you have said you're trying to like finally find a place, and this place might actually be your last hurrah at any attempt of finding a faith community. As I think about just like how hard church is, and especially like the national and international dialogue that's that's going back and forth, and I remember like you know when I was first a Christian, like you know I would like go door to door and I would go on campus sharing my faith and I would use those little books called the four spiritual laws and and one of the verses I would read out is John chapter 10 that that Christ came that you might have life and might have it abundant and I remember just always promising that if you accept Christ in your life you will have an abundant life and, and so there's this idea that has been implanted in me and that I have planted in so many people that the Christian life is about abundance and victory and joy. But truthfully, it often feels like it's anything but abundant. Many of us would say that the life of faith instead is marked by confusion, by pain, by frustration, bewilderment, grief, loss. It feels like we're aimlessly wandering and hoping things will get better, but it doesn't feel that way. The promises of community instead are met with loneliness. The promise of victory is met with disappointment. Family oftentimes feels more like betrayal. Somehow in the back of our minds, we have this idyllic vision of what faith family and church is supposed to be and it feels like there's this one constant disappointment after another and this trying to rearrange like what is it in my life that needs to change is it my work is it my my vocation is it my like marriage is it church and we're constantly trying to fix things and I know as I talk about this, um, so many of us can relate because there's this weariness and exhaustion trying to figure out how, how am I supposed to persevere as a Christian when life feels so screwed up. But as I think about our passages, that, our passage in Exodus you know, that we're going to be focusing on in the next few weeks, it's a reminder that this problem isn't unique to life in the 21st century. In fact, since the beginning of, of humanity, there's just been this longing. There's this, like, wanting to, to hope for something better. We, we see it in, in Genesis and the stories of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. 
the story of Joseph, it looked like finally, like Israel had this person and, you know, and, and the leadership of Joseph who was helping his, his family, his people, you know, escape famine. But then, as, as any good story, there, there's this twist. And, and Joseph, you know, passes away. And, and the people of Israel begin to, you know, grow in numbers. They become the majority population. And so in this land of Egypt, laws and rules were put in place to subjugate them. And we've heard that story before, you know. It's, it's a story that... That happens time and time again. In fact, you know, it's explicitly said in Exodus 1.8. It says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to the people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and they fight against us. And so the Pharaoh started, like, you know, doing all these things to oppress them. And, and they made Israel their slaves. They made them work hard, you know, with, using brick and mortar and, and all kinds of things. And, and it was this ruthless, ruthless act that, that, you know, the Pharaoh was trying to enact on this, this immigrant population. And so the people began to cry out, um, and God raises up uh, a deliverer by the name of Moses. And, and the, through, you know, we don't have time to get through it, um, go through everything, but through this very complicated Exodus story, you know, the people of Israel are, are freed from the tyranny of, of Pharaoh. They're able to cross the Red Sea. And in Exodus 15, they, they shout out in this, in this, this song of praise, the psalm of joy. And in Exodus 15, they're, they're saying, The Lord is my strength, my defense. He has become my salvation. The Lord is a warrior. Pharaoh's chariot and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea. And, and it goes on and says, In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you, you unleashed your, your burning anger. It consumed them like stubble. And there's this like, like song of deliverance. They're so ecstatic. Exodus 15 is this, this whole chapter filled with praising God for like deliverance. And finally, the people of Israel are free. But then a few verses later, the, the dream just dies. All of a sudden, they're in this wilderness, this, this place where they're eventually going to wander for 40 years, and, and like there's no water. And then there's, there's no food. And like Ryan read last week, God provides his manna from heaven, and there is this short reprieve, right? But then Exodus 17, again, it's, it's the same problems. Exodus 17, verse 1, it says, All the congregation of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness by sin, by stages, according to the commandment of the Lord, and camped at Rephidim. But there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses. That word quarrel is, is Meribah, and you'll see that word Meribah repeated in, in Scripture. It was in our Scripture reading this morning. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, Give us water to drink. 
And Moses said to them, Why do you Meribah with me? Why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? Now, now pause for a second. Imagine the scenario here. There's like thousands of you. If I was one of the parents that was being led out of Egypt, sure, it was hard in Egypt, but now I've got little kids to take care of. And, and Moses, what was the plan? Why did you bring us to, to a desert of all places? And now my, my little children are, are looking up to me and, and asking, Dad, Give us something to drink. That would tear me apart. That would be the most horrific thing as a father to see my little children dying of thirst. And so it makes sense. I would, I would be one of those people going to Moses and saying, what was the plan? It was better that we were in Egypt and now you've brought us here you gave us a sense of, of, of hope and deliverance of, of this promise you, you made it sound like everything was going to be okay but instead we're, we're in a worse situation than we have ever been before we're going to die here verse 4 so Moses cried to the Lord, What shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. Moses is like, I'm going to die. God, if you don't do something right now, I'm, I'm going to die. And the Lord said to Moses, Pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff which you struck the Nile, and go. And behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the name of the place Masa and Meribah, because of the quarreling of the people of Israel, and because they tested the Lord by saying, Is the Lord, us among, is the Lord among us or not? And I love that the... the what Moses did here in this time of desperation. Moses, you know, didn't like go back to the people and just say crazy stuff. Instead, Moses knew where to turn, and what Moses did was turn to God. And I think about this story because I think. With all of us, we're always going to face a no-water situation. A no-water situation where our back is against the wall. There's no human solution possible. There's nowhere to turn. We spend endless night trying to figure out how to solve this problem, and we can't figure it out. And it's difficult. And so what we find Moses doing is he knows there, there's nothing I can do but, but trust in you. And so God ins 
instructs him to take the staff and to strike the rock. And what's significant about this event is that um, Scripture actually talks about Exodus 17 multiple times. In fact, Paul brings it up in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 10, verse 4. And he says, um, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers. And so Paul is saying, I want you to know something. I, wa- I want to tell you something. And so don't be aware, unaware of this fact. That our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink. drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Do you hear that? Paul, hundreds of years later, is telling his readers, that I want you to be aware of something. This group of people that that went through the sea, that were baptized into Moses, and ate the same spiritual food and drank the spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That Paul, hundreds of years later, was able to inform the, the readers now that that rock that Moses struck was Christ. That Christ was the living fountain. And not just that rock, but, but Paul says of it, it was the spiritual rock that followed them all throughout their time. Paul was trying to tell them that even then, Christ was present every day of their life every day and yet many people couldn't see it because of unbelief somehow Christ was hidden the story revealed by Paul understood somehow in a mysterious way by Moses and so scripture paints for us this picture that in the most deserted and barren of places Christ is mysteriously hidden. Christ has always been there providing the spiritual nourishment that people need. And I love that it says spiritual because sometimes it's not the type of nourishment that we think we need, but somehow what Christ gives us in himself will be enough. If only we would pause and see that. Because as we go through just, just challenges in life, challenges as a church, as we've talked numerous weeks now that we are kind of in a budget shortfall, it's easy to focus on all those problems and say, what is going on? But in all of this, in all of our wandering, right, for the past 40 years and us entering into this new season of life, what I believe and I think and I know Scripture is calling us to do is to fix our eyes on Christ. To fix our eyes on Christ. Because it's not about rearranging the furniture of our life. It's not about trying to fix something to ease the pain and 
And, and, and yes, and I'm not trying to discount that the pain is real. Please, please don't, don't, um, don't uh, whatever you do, that, that's not what I'm saying because the pain and the challenges, the hardship, they're all so horribly real. But in the midst of it, um, Scripture says to trust. Throughout our lives, Christ is saying, will you trust me? Will you trust me? And I said scripture spoke of Exodus 17 multiple times. There's another passage in Hebrews chapter 3 where the writer of Hebrews alludes to Exodus 17 and just the whole story of, of the wanderings again. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 15, you know, speaks about the Meribah incident. And it says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For those, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom he was provoked, provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, with whose bodies fell into the wilderness? To whom did he swear that they would never enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter. Why? Because of unbelief. They were unable to enter God's rest because of unbelief. And what Christ, I think, is saying is that Today, if you would hear his voice, believe in me, trust in me. And in some crazy, mysterious way, through all the challenges of life, God's going to help us. I remember when my um, little kids were small, I would often take them to the beach. Um, and we would play games. Sometimes I'd bring shovels. And remember there's one particular time I, I didn't bring any toys. It was just this um, impromptu, hey, let's go to the beach while mom is at work moment. Um, and so, you know, we just picked up, you know, the sticks on the beach. And, and I challenged them. And I said, hey, kids, I, I want to I wanna give you guys like a, a contest. Who can draw the straightest, longest line on the sand? And so they were all excited, and I gave them each a stick. And, and so, you know, my meticulous one was slowly, you know, drawing, trying to draw his line and looking at his brother. And, and, and as you saw, you know, the, the three boys um, drawing on, on the floor, um, you know, one was zigzagging. The other one was, like, curving his way through. And... It was just kind of like this interesting, you know, arc, right? It was kind of like all over the place. And, you know, as a father, I was saying, good job, good job. And they said, Dad, let me, we want to see you draw a line. And so I said, okay, I'll draw a line. And so I took one of the sticks, and I draw this most perfect of lines across the beach. And my kids looked at my line compared to theirs, and they were like, wow, Dad, how did you make your line so straight? And I said it was easy. I, I just looked at a point on the beach, didn't even look down, 
and walked straight ahead. And that picture, I remember, reminded me that it's so easy to, like, right, get caught up in trying to fix and make life perfect. But when I fix my eyes on Christ, the perfecter of my faith, it's not me disregarding the problems, but as I center myself in the presence of God, in the promises of God, I can move forward. And that line, that line points straight to Christ. And I think that's what's needed at this time. As we wander, it feels like life becomes so aimless and so pointless. But there is something beautiful when I'm able to to just be present, to be still, to know that he is God. You know, when my... um, Again, when my kids were small, um, we we were homeschooling our our children, and so my wife was, like, working very limited hours. And so I was pastoring at a small church with a very limited salary. And and, um, you know, there was times where we didn't know where food was coming from. Uh, There were multiple times where our electricity got shut off. I remember uh, a few times where the water company put a lock on our water valve um, because we hadn't paid the bill in months. Um, and, you know, we recently told our, our kids about this, and, you know, our, my, our kids are grown up now, and they were like, what? We had no idea any of that was going on. <laughs> we had no idea. And we, we told them, why do you think we kept going over Grandma and Grandpa's house so often for dinner? <laughs> we were like... Mom, can we come over tonight? Oh, can we come over again? And it was this constant, like, you know, trying to figure thing out, things out. And, and I remember the kids' response. They, they said, we had no idea. We had no idea we were that broke and that poor. We always felt like there was plenty. We always felt like there was plenty. There was this childlike hope, right? We, we saw it this morning when the two little girls were dancing in the front. As so many of us come in with so much pain that we're, we're trying to carry, you saw these two beautiful little kids just dancing carelessly. And that was such a beautiful picture. That was such a beautiful picture of faith and saying, I don't got the care in the world. I'm just going to dance. I'm just going to dance. May may our lives be as such that we are children fixated on Christ who is our provider, who is our sustainer, who will take care of us in our no-water situations when we feel so desperate that we can come and be embraced by the arms of Christ and know as God's children, we are going to be okay.
we're going to be okay. It's going to be hard. It's going to be challenging. It's going to be painful. But with Christ, everything is going to be okay. Because Jesus, Jesus is our sufficiency. And God is asking us, will you trust me? And so as our, as our practice every month, we take, every week, we take communion. I know a lot of times, you know, that it's, you know, not done in, in churches, but, but we chose to do it here every week. Why? Because we want to remind ourselves every week who we are, why we are here. It's because of Jesus. It's because of the cross. It's because of the table that we are family. And, and as hard, hard as life is, we are reminded that Christ continues to be our bread, continues to be our nourishment, continues to be our wine. We do so as a family. We do so together. And so on this period of wandering, we are invited to the table to wonder, to wonder at the love of God. To wonder at the grace, the majesty, the beauty of Christ. To know that everything, everything will be okay. Because Christ is with us. And so when you're ready, please come.